0: Well, Christina, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me again, so fun.
0: Well, this time I want it all to be about you, okay? No. So this time I want to interview you, your life, how you got started, what you do, because I think you have some interesting twists and turns that I want to dig into, and I think people that are listening to this will enjoy it as well. What kind of response did you get from the podcast we did together that you released?
1: It was awesome. I mean, your people love you. There's yeah. no doubt about it. As crazy and you know, fucked as up I as am. you can be. <laughs> They loved it. You know, I did, when I put it out, I remember coming home, we filmed, what, however many months ago, five Mm -hmm. months ago, four months ago, and I remember coming home and I was like, telling my husband, I was like, He said some fucked up things that people are not going to like. A couple of my girls are not going to like this. But even my people were just like, the guy shoots it straight. He may not talk exactly the way that I talk. And you know, some of the things that you said, I probably wouldn't say. And I say a lot of fucked up shit. But um, your people had an amazing response to it. My people had an amazing response to it. Because I think people love authenticity. I'm pretty authentic as they come. You know, I'm 90%. I show 90% and I say 90%. And people like that. And I don't think everyone kind of gets it nowadays and it was cool to have someone outside of my industry that's awesome
0: yeah my people are kind of desensitized to me yeah you know and that's like i said you either get a fuck yes with me or fuck no yeah you know it's either yes i love him or no i don't and i'm good either way so my people are kind of desensitized to me but honestly even though i say some shit that's a little bit out there there's no malice behind no. it and i think people understand that you know what i mean i might say something that's a little bit off color but but it's the attitude and the and the um, intent behind the comment that goes a long way as well. And and so I just kind of keep it interesting for people, but we've had great response so far from the podcast and, and a lot of people really enjoyed yours. And I think they'll enjoy this more because I get to dive into you a little bit more.
1: Cool, yeah. I think like what you said, I think that's really important is you really want people to win. And I think that people can understand that.
0: Yes, that was the whole point of this is yeah. it's life, money, and personal lives. We all make good decisions. We all make some fucking fucked up decisions and and we can all learn from it and and diving into shit that people won't talk about. That's the biggest feedback I've got out of the podcast is, you're especially in my industry, and you're not familiar with horses that much, but in the horse industry, in Western industry, it's almost a to do, t- uh, taboo about money don't discuss money at the table it's almost like religion and politics you can't talk about religion you can't talk about politics you can't talk about money well that was my favorite subject is money is how to get financially rich how to get financially stable how to get ahead and that conversation that we've been having ever since we backed up to the gauge two two years ago the one you saw me on yeah. and met me on um, it's got people in the Western industry very much talking about money, how to retire, how to save your money, how to invest your money. I mean, I'm kind of proud of it. I feel like I've kind of changed the whole industry in the fact that now people aren't frightened to talk about it. It's like it's like we opened up the curtain and, and we all came out of the closet and said, oh, we all got to make money. Like, I'll give you a perfect example of, of kind of how fucked up human beings can be about money and shit, okay? So... I was married, I've been married twice, and uh, the first time I was married for nine and a half years. Anyway, we were just young kids when we got married. 18, did didn't no difference in love and lust, no harm, no foul either way, okay? But, but this is a perfect example of the shit that I think is just stupid, and, but people won't talk about. So my ex-wife, uh, her grandpa died, okay, when I was married to her. Anyway, when, when he died and the will came out, uh, it was pretty fucked up, okay? So there was two sisters and a brother. So the brother was her dad. Well, her dad and and her grandpa farmed for 25 years, which they didn't do in the Midwest all over the country. They farmed together for 25, 30 years. Father and son farmed together. Well, the, the grandfather was so sick the last 10, 15 years of his life, he couldn't really work. So the son did all the farming, but he still split the money 50-50 with the dad, which is the way to do it. You take care of family. My parents always said, blood's first. Always take care of family. So he split the profit 50-50 with his dad for 10, 15 years, even though his dad couldn't basically do jack shit, which is the right thing to do. Well, when he died, the will came out. Well, two of the sisters got a shit ton of money, shit ton of houses, quite a few assets. Well, the son, he basically got all the farm equipment. Well, he was already paying fucking notes on it. It was, it was already under debt. He was already paying for all this. And they were pretty bitter about how he basically got fucked in the will, but he took care of his dad for 15 years financially and did all this shit. And when the will came out, he basically got what he already had, which was debt. And the two sisters that didn't do jack shit got a ton of assets, okay? And they were kind of bitter about this. I remember, you know, I was probably 22, 23 at the time and they were sitting at the kitchen table kind of bitching about it. It really kind of caused a rift in the family, okay? So me being kind of young and I even stupid, and I said, I, I said, I'm a little confused. I said this to the, my, my mother-in-law. And I said, I'm kind of confused here. I said, didn't you know it was in the will? And she said, no. And I said, but I don't understand. He was sick for several years. You knew he was gonna die. This wasn't a shock. This wasn't a car accident. This wasn't just some freak fucked up farming tragedy that he just died. Everybody knew this day was coming how come you didn't ask him because it found out the will hadn't been updated in 20 years hadn't been updated in 20 years so i said to my mother-in-law i said why didn't anybody ask him when he was alive about his will when was it updated how what's in it you know what she said to me she looked at me and she said oh we don't talk money at the table yep and i thought you dumb bitch. it's good not to talk money at the table but let's ruin families when somebody dies like Thanksgiving's fucked up, Christmas is fucked up, all the gatherings now is real uncomfortable because we don't want to talk money at the table. Mm-hmm. That's just how stupid. I update my will every two years for Christ's sake. I know where all the money's going, who's getting it all, everybody that helped me gets it, etc. You know why? Because I've seen so many people die that don't have updated wills and don't have good planning that it's such a shit show for all the people they love left behind. Yeah. It's it's tragic enough for the people that love you have dealing with your death. Now they've got to deal with your death and all the shit show of you not getting your shit together. I've seen it ruin families. It almost ruined their family over this will. It ruins families over money. Where it could be where the one guy that's the referee is the son of bitch that's alive. He calls the game, isn't it? It's his money. Why not ask him these questions and get it all out in the open when the referee so if two siblings are bitching about something? There's a ref right there that calls the shots. Yeah. But that's a perfect example of it. So to me, it's very normal to bring up these topics. So in the Western industry, I kind of feel like I've pulled off the veil of talking about money and let's start making money, investing money, and talking about money rather than oh no, 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 we don't talk money at the table.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think Does you're Does that make
0: super, sense? Oh, absolutely. I think it's super smart. Well, let's back up a little bit here. So what intrigues me about you is I don't know a lot about you, but you were a golf kind of superstar, okay? And then you changed industries into the coaching industry. And I love it when people change industries, especially polar opposite type (laughs) things, not even remotely lined up together, and what made them do it and how they did it and what made them have the courage to do it and, and all that kind of stuff. So let's back up a little bit here. So you were born and raised where?
1: Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.
0: Okay. And, and you lived there your whole young life? Until I was life? like 20,
1: yeah. Until, Until you were 20. 21.
0: Okay. I moved to Arkansas at 21. At uh, 21. So if you're from Canada, did you come from a family of golfing people?
1: I did. My dad and my uncles all grew up playing golf, and then they all got really good at hockey. So my uncle was the first person to ever get in a fight with Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was four, boy, or four boys and a girl. My dad, like my dad and his brothers, they were all really good athletes. My dad was probably more so like me and my brother was probably more so like my uncle naturally talented my brother and my uh, my uncle naturally talented good at everything um, my dad and I are not that naturally talented. Yeah. We just work harder than most people yes. and we're extremely competitive. Yeah. Like, you, I want to lose my arm rather than lose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I grew up around golf and hockey, but I didn't take up golf until I was 18 because it was something that, like, my brothers did, my dad did. They told me to do it. And again, I was like, You telling me to do it? I don't, I don't want to do it. it. I would have said, exactly. You're not allowed to play golf I would have loved it. You would have been there every day. <laughs> exactly. But I was working. So since I was like 12 years old, I started working working for my dad on the golf course, younger than that probably. Then I got my first real job working on a, at a golf course um, from for someone else. And after work, all the guys, because I was the only girl, I was the very first girl to ever work in the back shop of a country club. You know where they store your golf clubs and you clean the clubs? Mm-hmm that was me. I had to wear a men's polo and a men's pair of khakis because I was the only girl to ever done it. So I had to wear the uniform. And I was, I think I was 13 when I first started. And uh, yeah, but the guys went to go play golf after work. And funny, I was just kind of like, well, shit, I don't get to hang out with them now. And that's what I wanted to do. So I took up golf when I was 18.
0: So is... This might sound a stupid question, but I ask it. But in Canada, because you have such long winters, you have a pretty short golfing season. Yeah, April to October. April to October. I'm surprised it's even that long. Yeah. Okay. Um, so basically your your dad was the main golfing person. Was he a golfing pro? Did he make money from it? Is that how he made money? Was he a coach? What was your dad?
1: He was a a golf professional. So they owned golf courses. He was golf superintendent, he was a pro pro manager, he did all everything that you can imagine in the golf world. That's what my dad did when I was growing up. So I grew
0: up on a golf course. So what made you then wait to 18 to actually really get involved in Because I didn't want to do it. Like my brothers
1: were doing it, I didn't want to do it. I was doing, you know, what were you into as a kid? Softball? Softball. Probably softball softball and golf. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, all those sports and then, or softball. And then really when I was 18, like I said, I, I took up golf that summer. I got really good, really fast. I broke 190 and 80 in the first summer. And then the second summer I entered my first tournament. I won the first three tournaments that's I ever awesome. played in. Yeah.
0: So was your dad, your
1: coach in the early years? Yes. And no, I didn't yeah. want to, you know, I didn't yeah. want, that's I have, how I have a rule yeah.
0: about coaching. You know <laughs> no. what it is? You can't teach anybody you see naked.
1: Yeah, that's a good one yeah no spouses no yes, parents that's
0: a dead rule i don't care yeah. what fucking industry yeah. you're into if you've seen them naked you can't teach them that's because when you're teaching somebody there has to be a level of respect there teach yeah. a student when the teacher yeah. says it the student does it yeah when it's funny when you've seen somebody naked there's a little back chat there there's a little there's a little back and forth i just
1: want to think about my dad seeing <laughs> me naked that's like really that's weird. one of those things yeah. i'll just
0: bring up fucked exactly. up things. exactly
1: that's fucked up. but no yeah i mean i, I mean he Kind of got me started, but I really got started where I, you know, I got my first set of clubs from the guy I was working for, a, a guy in the in mm-hmm. the golf industry. I was working for him, and he bought me my first set of clubs. And how I got really good really fast was I was working in the bar industry at night because in Canada you can be eighteen, so I was working in the bar industry at night. And then I wake up and I go to the golf course at five in the morning, work at the golf course, and then do the same thing. But I had money from the bar industry, so I was making you know five hundred bucks a night bartending. Yeah waitressing and all the things well every friday the good pros from all around the city got together for the friday money game well i wasn't good but i had money at 18 and so they let me play and to begin with i started on the ladies tees and they were playing from the backs and they gave me a couple strokes by that time that summer was over they're like "Bitch, get back here with us and but (laughs) i will tell you that's the best thing that ever happened to me because i learned from people who are better than me i still do that today yes you gotta
0: you've got to compete against people better than you. Much better. Even though it's humbling and you don't like getting your ass kicked, but you've got to compete against people better than you. Yep. People better than you will make you better.
1: Ab- yes, absolutely, 100%. That's exactly. That's exact.
0: that's so go. at 18, you finished high school then, Are you trying to make a career of this you're going to go to college how did like where's that transition going you don't know what you really want to do in life i had no clue
1: i was 18 graduated high school i went backpacking by myself for four months through new zealand fiji and malaysia oh
0: you did by yourself
1: by myself i just got out like i knew i always wanted to do it i I was like i was a workhorse since i was like little little i saved my money i knew if i wanted to do something in life i knew i was going to have to pay for it Mm -hmm. my parents you know didn't have a ton of money so i knew that if i wanted something I was gonna figure out how to have it. Yeah. And so I worked. And uh, when I was 18, I graduated high school. I, it, like Obviously I graduated that's, I don't know, whenever you graduate, May. Mm-hmm. And then in January, I left for um, New Zealand for four months and I went back By yourself? By myself.
0: Didn't bother Before you? Before
1: cell phones? Oh yeah, I was physically fucking sick. I remember the day I left.
0: I'm sick thinking about it. Oh like, yeah. I, I, can't, I, I get lost very quickly. Yeah. I get lost in my I own home at times. I have great And so going, doing this traveling around the world by yourself, like makes me physically sick. I could never be a hitchhiker because I would commit suicide just on worrying about who's going to kill me.
1: No, I did that while I was there. So this was back in 2000 Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it was, yeah, I graduated, so 2001 maybe. And um, yeah, I left in January and I remember the flight there. So I went from like Edmonton to Vancouver, Vancouver to LA. And I remember calling my mom from the Los Angeles airport from a payphone about to tell her I couldn't do it. I was physically sick. I threw up the whole time from Vancouver to LA. And I always believe that everything happens for a reason. My mom didn't pick up the phone that day and they were boarding. And I just got on the fucking plane. It was the best, awesome. best decision of my life. I just figured it out. What
0: did you learn during, how many months was it? Four months. So four months and you went to Fiji, New Zealand. I started
1: in New Zealand. I did the, Ki- for those of those who are listening who yeah. know New Zealand, I did big uh, North and South Island. I did something called the Kiwi Experience. You know, that was 23 years yeah. ago. So I'm sure we don't even know what that is anymore. But yeah. yeah, I did the whole thing. I was there for three months and then I went to Fiji for... 10 days to this backpacking thing and then on the way home i stopped in malaysia
0: that's interesting what did you learn from that whole experience what did it do for as a young and so you were eight, 20, i was 18 18. I was god 18. damn that's young
1: yeah i think about that now and i'm like oh my god that's why would you let out. anyone do that that <laughs> yeah. is horrible yeah,
0: yeah. but no... you're the next serial rapist victim bitch.
1: <laughs> exactly but do you know what in and i'm assuming australia does this as well but Girl, like when I was there, everyone was doing, like, I met so many people. I stayed in hostels. Yes. I like, you know. The backpacking is very big in Australia. Yeah. Yes. The ba- and,
0: and yeah, sure. Especially where I grew up in Cairns, which is a tourist yeah, town. Yeah, I know where it is. And there's lots of hostels there and backpacking and, and shit like that. So, yes. Uh, Maybe more so popular than what it is in America, yeah. you know a good way I always say this to people too and this was back 2001 mind you I, I still say this today people say What's the difference between America and Australia and, and as a good rule of thumb? I say really the only difference is is it's America 30 years ago.
1: Yeah
0: as a good rule of thumb Yeah, we still have the same restaurants and the same food and the same TV shows and all that shit, but culturally I would say Australia and New Zealand is like 30 years behind America in, a, in some ways in a good way. Meaning that back in the days when you would still talk to a stranger, you would still pick up a hitchhiker, you would still help a stranger. You get what I'm trying to say yeah. there. I remember as a kid, my grandfather, he's 94 now, still alive in Australia. As a kid, he would pick up a lot of hitchhikers when with, with me and my sister in the car and give them rides different places. Well now that you would never do that oh, shit. Oh God, no. You, you know what I mean? But in Australia that was kind of culturally very acceptable. So I uh, so I will cut you a little break. In those countries, in New Zealand and Australia, it's not that uncommon. I don't know if I'd do it now, even in Australia now. I don't, I don't know. know if I'd do it now.
1: I think I wouldn't do a lot of shit that I did. Like I went bungee jumping, I went skydiving, I went yeah. way like I did yeah. all that shit. Yeah. I even think about myself, I used to be a snowboarder when I was young. Yeah. That was the very first sport I took up. I never mentioned that. That yeah. was I was like the first girl snowboarder. I had that very first you know snowboard and even still like there's some shit I did on a snowboard that I wouldn't do today hell no I'm like I break something
0: (laughs) well I think when you're that age you're half stupid you're half fearless and you got nothing to lose oh yeah and so it makes it easy to be ballsy when you start getting 45 and older you've got something to lose Financially, you've got a lot to lose. Yeah. You've got a lot more maturity. So no, I don't think we do half the shit that we would do. <laughs> but, but you got bigger balls than me, I couldn't do it. See, I'm too much of a control freak. Yeah. I, like sitting on the side of a highway, waiting for a stranger to pick me up. If I knew who was gonna pick me up, how they were gonna murder me, where they were gonna murder me, at what time they were gonna murder me, I'd relax yeah. because I'd have a structure yeah. to my death. But just sitting out there waiting for the next fucking accident. I mean, I think I
1: did it like once or twice and I was with other people that I met when I was there. But like, yes, I got on that plane. I remember landing at at the Auckland airport and going, what the fuck do I do now? And I knew a guy from high school whose sister lived there. I slept in her like office on the floor for like three days. And then after that, I was like, fuck it, I better figure this out. And I did, and it was great. This was like dial up internet cafes and pay phones is how I contacted my family. I know. Think about it. My mom texts me like, are, did you make it safe? Like even still today? From like, the grocery store. From the grocery store. <laughs> like when I take off in land or even today, like calling me when I get here. I'm like, mom, for four months, I was in a different country when you didn't know where I was. So like, yeah, it's just crazy <laughs> to think about that kind of stuff Yeah,
0: That's interesting. So you get done with this trip. yeah. You get back to Canada. Yeah. What are you doing for money? How are you moving around? I
1: worked in the golf course. That's when I, so I hadn't golfed at that point. So I was like, I I think I was 18, right? And went went away for four months. Come home, started working at the golf club, right? And I I went from the back shop in the boys' mm-hmm. uniform to the front. And, um, yeah, that was because 2001 happened that fall, Mm -hmm. the 9-11, and I was working in the golf shop that day when it happened. But I was working in the golf shop during the day, and I was working at the bar industry at night, and honestly, I didn't really know what I was going to do. Everyone just... Had no
0: desire to go to college type of deal.
1: I I just didn't know what I wanted Mm -hmm. to do, and I knew I liked making money. I knew I liked my own schedule, and so that's what I wanted to do. And then I was working in the golf shop. I started playing golf that fall when I was 18, then following years when I won the 3 tournaments and that's when a guy came into the golf shop and said, "Hey, my son plays at Central Arkansas. They're looking for girls. Would you ever be interested in playing golf on a scholarship?" And from there I got here.
0: So you got a scholarship and that's how you moved to Northwest Arkansas.
1: Yeah, I a Conway, Arkansas. I had no idea where Arkansas was on the map. <laughs> I had been playing golf for one fucking year yeah. and these people paid me a full scholarship to come here. I swear to God, my dad, you would have thought I was literally like the biggest celebrity in the whole world. He's <laughs> never been happier in his life because both myself and my brother came. So my brother was the number one number one ranked amateur in the country at the time. So he was two years younger than me, but we were both graduated school because I had taken that three years yeah. off between high school and college. We hopped in the car and I think it was 2001, we came down here. And uh, 2001, no, 2002, we came down here in 2002 and uh yeah my dad would have thought that this was you know heaven on earth he was so fucking excited So for let us. me
0: ask you this at what point did the light bulb go off for you that you said maybe i can make a living playing golf like you're enjoying it you're having fun but there must have been a light bulb moment where either somebody spoke to you or you just came to the realization that like hey, if I work hard enough, I could be fucking good at this. I could make money doing this. So when did that happen?
1: Absolutely. I knew exactly when it happened. It was my summer. It was the summer between um, my my junior and senior year. I'd come back to Canada. I was working in the golf shop during the summer. And my country club that I was working at at the time was, you know, a very high-end country club. And we brought in celebrities every year. So Mm. this was back when... You know, oil and gas, where I'm from in Canada, was booming. People had fuck tons of money, like, fuck you money. Like, hey, we'll pay $10,000 for a lunch ticket. And they were bringing in celebrities to play golf for Mm. a day. It was called A Day with Arnold Palmer. And I was working at the club, and Arnold Palmer, Peter Jacobson, and, I don't know, two other golf celebrities Mm. came up, and I was asked to walk around the golf course. Oh, Natalie Galvis. Natalie Galvis, Peter jacobson and arnold palmer these are big people in golf and i was asked to walk around the golf course with peter jacobson and natalie Gulbis. and that day a couple of the members at the country club said you're as good looking as natalie you could do this you should do this why aren't you doing this are you going to turn pro we'll sponsor you uh-huh. and that was like the light bulb that look like, oh fuck, maybe i can play golf after yeah. i graduate uh, after i graduated college and that year my senior year in college i was good i won like three times i was a, mm-hmm. a academic all-american like i was kind of like okay i might actually try this
0: mm-hmm. do you think you had talent or just hard work that got you kind oh, of started. A
1: little bit of talent. I mean, you can't get like, can't go from never touching a golf yeah. club to playing in college yeah. within two years. Yes, But no, I remember specifically the year that I turned pro. I, it was like a hundred, I went and played in in Phoenix, Arizona. It was on a, it was called the cactus tour. It was like a mini tour. And I remember it was 115, 120 degrees in the summer of Arizona. And all the other girls were like, the minute we got off the golf course, they were going to lunch. They were mm. going to happy hour. They were going to ice cream. I'd put a cold towel on my head and I'd putt for like 5 hours cuz I fucking knew I wasn't that good. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I had to work harder yes. than everyone else.
0: People and myself included in my industry that don't have talent, we don't have a choice but to practice. Yeah. We don't have a choice. And typically, I've always said it, that your, great, you know, your, greatest, uh, uh, you, your greatest asset, you know, back of the hand, your greatest asset is also your biggest failure and vice versa. Yeah. So your lack of talent makes you practice more, work harder, focus more, etc. Very few people, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but in any industry that are truly naturally talented work that hard. Yeah. There are a handful in every industry that they're truly naturally born with talent. And they have the eye of the tiger to practice and work hard and sacrifice. But typically, as a general rule, when they're that naturally talented, they won't put in the work because there's no need to. Well, they, can, they can get by with three hours of practice where, uh, you know, somebody is not very talented. They're doing eight hours of practice just to keep up.
1: Yeah. And I had been playing golf since I was 18. Mm-hmm. A lot of these girls have been playing golf since they oh, were yes. like three. Yes. Plus yes. a lot of them came from great colleges like i'm not saying central arkansas wasn't great but like they're coming from arkansas they're coming from arizona they're coming from world-class golf instructors they're coming from all of those things and Mm -hmm. i just didn't have any of that so i had to work and i wasn't even like you said in the beginning which was great golf superstar i really fucking wasn't i was Kind of good. I was mm-hmm. good enough to be better than most, but yep. like I was just kind of good, and yep. I had to work that hard if I was going to do that. And I put so much fucking pressure on myself because yep. I had external sponsors, and I wanted, I wanted it to go out well. Yep.
0: yep. So you get into college. Did it go well playing yeah. golf?
1: Yeah. College was great. Uh, like I said, we I won five times in college. I think mm-hmm. I was an all, like couple time all American. Mm-hmm. We won as a team. It was college ended up being so the first like semester of college. There's a big difference between Canada and Conway, Arkansas. Let me say that. Conway, Arkansas, like however many years ago, 21 years ago, yeah. it was fucking small town. I hated it here mm-hmm. so much. Um but then the last 3 years were brilliant. Okay. Like I fucking loved it.
0: So you get out of college and You're thinking you want to go pro. I turned pro that summer. Okay, so in in the golfing world, what what do you have to do to turn pro? You
1: say, I turn pro. You accept money. That's it. That's all you do. So
0: then you go to a tournament and you pay your entry fee. Anybody can pay. If you're a pro, you pay your entry fee and you get in the race with everybody else. Yep,
1: my very first tournament ever. This is where... My, I, I remember it to this day, I never won as a professional ever, mm-hmm. but my very, very, very first professional tournament, I was in a playoff mm-hmm. to win the golf tournament. I ended up missing the putt yeah. to win. And I, that was my very, very, very first tournament. And you would have thought like, oh fuck, this is gonna be easy to win. I played professionally off and on for eight years. I never fucking won. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: devastating. What was the big difference between the college, golfing, and when you turn professional.
1: Everything. Just
0: stress. What? Well, give me yeah. some examples of I things. I mean, that- the
1: mindset behind it all 100%, like the stress <clears throat> of doing it, the organizing, and like just, ev- like there's so much pressure, like it, everything now is a little bit different on the LPGA Tour, but the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour is very, very similar. Most people when they come out, they play these mini tours, and then you go to qualifying school and there's so many different stages. Well. I literally never thought in my wildest dreams that I would have made it to final stage of qualifying school the very first time. But mm-hmm. like I fucking go in so green that I'm like, oh, I'm never gonna make this. Fuck, I made it to finals the very first time I ever. And there's tried. a little
0: bit of a key to I think what you just said. Then. Exactly. When you don't give a fuck, you play a lot better. Correct. It's, when you over concentrate, you overtry, you 100%. fuck it all up. Where yep. when you go in there and just not give a shit you often do a lot better. Same with me with the horses. When I really want to do well, I get a little too wound up, I get a little quick with my hands, with my feet, especially in competition. When I mentally tell myself, I don't give a fuck if I'm last, I do a lot better because I just, are more, way more relaxed about
1: it. 100%. Well, what I do now is so similar. Like I do all of the mindset work now. Yeah. Had I been today's version of Christina 21, yes. I mean, I would have fucking been awesome. yes Plus the fact that like I would have enjoyed it so much more. Yes. Like you and I talked about that the last yes. time. Like I would have enjoyed it so much more. Much I put more. so much fucking pressure on myself. Was the
0: pressure just coming from you or oh, family 100%. or friends no, or just you? I'm, I mean,
1: me, but like the caveat to that was every single human I ever met from when I started playing golf and I got really good really quick, yeah. every single person was like, oh, my God, you are going to your life is going to be fucking amazing because, mm. you know, it was kind of like Natalie, like attractive females mm-hmm. who can play golf. There wasn't a ton of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the it was just going to be like, oh, my God, your life is going to be set. You're going to be it's going to be amazing. The yeah. money you're going to make the celebrity you're going to have. And so mm. everyone just kept telling me that. And, you know, that's what I just I was like, Fuck, I have to do this. Like, yeah. this is my life. If I don't do this, I'm fucked and yeah. my life's over.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. the way I interpret it. Yes, yes, it was wrong. But but uh, again, at that age, we all do pretty exactly. sh- fucked up things from yeah. time to time. So when you get into the pro deal, how are you making money? How are you surviving? You're giving lessons. you got sponsors. How are you making a living?
1: Sponsors and prize money. So, you know, I, I literally even though most people wouldn't admit it, I could be really cheap, like I was like, Using someone's car, or someone bought like one of my sponsors. One year, mm-hmm. bought me a lease on a car for a year. I was staying at people's houses in Arizona. So like, you could
0: live pretty cheap.
1: Yeah, I lived pretty cheap, and I paid my my dues, and you know, to get into the tournaments, and then I'd wait, make a little money, and put it to the next one, and make a little money, and put it to the next one.
0: Are you allowed to give lessons for extra oh, yeah. money? yeah, I mean, collect- I
1: could have done all of that kind of stuff. I didn't really have to because I was kind of making enough to kind of keep going, yeah. and I had a, a few sponsors here and there, and keep mind too like up until college I was like for those four years I was working and I was making really decent money like mm-hmm. I took myself to New Zealand yeah, I bought yeah, my car like I did yeah. all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then I was working in the summers
0: okay so so are these tournaments all over the country that yeah. you're going to
1: Canada uh, the, I are you play,
0: driving you're flying driving
1: I mean driving or a southwest middle seat if it was too far <laughs>
0: yeah okay fair enough then so how many years did you do that
1: I did that three years, pretty much full time. So I went to LPGA Q school, final stage, three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And after the third year, I remember it, it was like, I was laying in a Airbnb bed, just devastated. Just mm-hmm. thinking my life was over because I just didn't want to do it anymore. I wasn't good. I wasn't making any money. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it was just like this rock bottom type of situation yep, yep. where I was like, and how I'm were you then? done. <sighs> I must've been like 24, 25, mm-hmm. 25 maybe, mm-hmm. but. What we what we missed during that little transition there was the fact that right when I got out of college, I got on a reality show for golf. Oh, you did? I okay. did. Called The Big Break. It was one of the highest rated shows on Golf Channel. It had like maybe 25 seasons. And right after I graduated college, I got the opportunity. I literally just went and interviewed or I auditioned for yeah. the show. They asked like three stupid questions. You hit a ball. I had no clue what the show was going to be about. I had no clue. This is like in the beginning of- I can of tell you what it was. Hot bitches playing golf. You know what? <laughs> you know what? It wasn't It's not on-
0: fucking rocket science here, bitch. It's hot bitches playing golf and okay. it's short skirt. You know okay, what I Let's about? just cut that- it down to what it is, okay? Men are not wa- watching women's fucking golf for the golfing. We're watching for that bitch to bend over and pick that ball up. Yeah,
1: okay? it was that <laughs> and the drama. It was both. They wanted it a reality Bitches show. like drama. Yes, it was. It was a- now it is a reality show based on golf. But it was one of the, and they had guys too. Like yeah. it was a big deal. And so what
0: did that do for you? Did it got it help me some you?
1: exposure. Yeah, it got me exposure. So how that took me, so I really only played golf for like three years, mm-hmm. but what I really did was host events. So that show got me a little bit of notoriety. I was doing like local TV, local yeah. radio. But then companies started asking me, "Hey, would you come out to our event, hit a ball, shake some hands, take some photos?" Started off at like 500 bucks a deal, and I was thinking to myself, that's how I was making money. I yeah. totally forgot to talk about So I was making, you know, it started out 500 bucks a day, and I thought, "Fuck me, this is the best thing ever." Yeah. Well, you know, fast forward 10 years later, I was making $10,000 a day minimum playing golf with executives. You know, some of them flew me, you know, business class or private. And, you know, that's really the way it kind of ended. But that little reality show and I was drama on that first show because, like you said, they cast you on a reality show for a a certain thing. You know, there is. The hot dumb chick. There is, you know, the good golfer. There is the whole, the whole. There's, you know, the the lesbian. Yeah. You know, there's all of those things. Oh, fucking! And, love. Oh. but here's what they did. They cast me as the dumb bitch or the mm-hmm. dumb blonde, mm-hmm. like the ditzy one. They that didn't, didn't They didn't know yeah. that I was one of the most competitive motherfuckers yeah. on yeah. the show.
0: That was a bad casting. That was
1: a bad casting yeah. call. But <laughs> it turned out in their favor, and it really fucked me in some regards, because I told the chick to choke. Like, yeah. you can go back and find it. I told the chick to choke. Now, did I tell her straight to her face? Yeah. No. I was standing <laughs> here, and, like, she was 100. And it was, a, you know, the elimination round, and I was like, fuck she chokes and they caught it on camera and they played it on every intro of every show people hated me this was back when blogs thank god social media wasn't a thing but it was blogs like oh, people truly. were like this bitch should die she should be kicked <laughs> off like it was horrible
0: just of on one comment
1: one comment and if i was a dude or if i wasn't attractive yeah. i w- that would have never crossed anyone's radar but mm. it was and you know I, do i regret saying it I no, actually, fuck
0: no. I wouldn't. I'd say hell that shit no. all the time. Like, you
1: know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I stay that shit still to this day. Like, But
0: it, it must not have turned out too bad because you got a lot of gigs off the show. It got
1: me a ton of gigs. It got me a lot. Like, I went pretty far in the show. I think I finished fourth on that season, but they even brought me back for a reunion show. And remember,
0: the, bad publicity is good publicity. It
1: ended up working out for me. And so I did another show and then it was men versus women. And so the girl that I was into it with, she was my partner on one of the shows and we ended up like, yeah, it was just this big reality show thing. I ended up winning the second one for the girls. And then I did another show for golf channel. So I kind of, Are they paying you to be on these reality shows. No, they pay for all your expenses. They give you a bunch of shit. And like, I think I won like $20,000, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the, the span of all three of the shows that I was on. But, um, yeah, that really helped me because I parlayed that. And you know,
0: into your coaching and it, well the into appearances. my appearances
1: into my yes. appearances and i i hosted a, a couple of shows on fox sports yeah um that that helped too yep. but yeah that really helped propel me kind of to yeah have the... so
0: that was all good really yeah so let me ask you then so when you did the reality golfing shows um and you got some notoriety niter- and it kind of helped with the appearances and things did you just, how many years went by that you did only appearances? and? Oh,
1: probably like seven.
0: Corporate gigs and that. Yeah. Tell me what you liked and disliked about disliked about that.
1: You know what, honestly, there wasn't a ton to dislike about mm-hmm. that. You know, sometimes it does get tiring and yep. sometimes you don't love the people you're doing I, it for. I agree. I yeah. mean, you get that, yeah. but I learned so much. I will always say today, even still today, the best thing that ever happened to me is I never came from money, but I have been around money my whole entire life since yeah. I started working at private country clubs yeah. and it made me almost like it became so normal like mm-hmm. for I think for certain people like flying on planes and you know fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollar watches and million dollar bank mm-hmm. accounts like for so many people that is so far-fetched mm-hmm. and for me I was just immersed in it all the time so you
0: wanted to make that kind of money
1: you yeah, liked it. I wanted like I just knew it was for me I the part of the story of how I got into the coaching part is I didn't really like myself, but I always knew I was going to be successful Mm -hmm. always. Like Mm -hmm. I fucking just knew it to my core that I was always going to be successful. Didn't know how the fuck it was going to work and it didn't feel like it. But that being around successful people and learning from them was just fantastic. And I was around a lot of successful business people. And I think the best skill that I have is my communication skill and my empathy towards people. Mm-hmm. I truly actually give a shit about humans. Mm-hmm. And that was really what I did on the golf course. I called it my trifecta. Yeah, I looked a certain way. Yeah, I played golf a mm-hmm. certain way. But really the thing that brought me back year after year after, even if over the chicks who had way more notoriety and way better looking and better golfers was the fact that I connected with every person yes. on that golf
0: course. Yes, I, I'd agree with that. 100%. You know, I always say that you are who you surround yourself with. Yeah. You know, 100%. Bums hang out with bums. Yep. Bank robbers hang out with bank robbers. Rich people hang out with rich people, and fucking poor people hang out with poor people. Yep. So I always tell people: if you just want to know what you are in life, just add up five of your friends, and average them out, and that's who you are, motherfucker, whether you like it or not. So business owners hang out with business owners. You know, poor people hang out with poor people. You are you hang around who you are. Democrats hang out with Democrats. Republicans hang out with Republicans. We don't mean to do it, it's just, it's your tribe. As humans, I think we're very tribal people. We find our our niche, we find our freak flag. You know, who, whatever we're into, if you're into fucking feet, you're into, other people are into feet, you know what I mean? You find your club, you find your niche, and, and really you are who you hang around, and you have to be very careful of that, of who you hang around, because it'll either take you the right wrong, right direction or wrong. So let me ask you this then. So at what point did you say fuck the 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 pro golfing. I'm not going to try to be a pro golfer. I'm just going to make a damn good living traveling around the country doing corporate gigs, yeah. private lessons, shit like that. What point did you make that transition to say hey, no more no more pro touring, I'm just gonna do the celebrity deal.
1: Yeah, because I knew I wasn't good enough. So I went to Q School three years in a row. I remember crying and like this Airbnb, like fuck me, my golf is over, what am I gonna do? And yeah. that was really when I started getting a few more of the corporate golf mm-hmm. gigs. And like, what I did had never been done before because the only people who were getting like appearance fees mm-hmm. were people who had a the, like, you yes. had to be someone to get that. Like yeah, a Natalie, You had to win some shit. Yeah, you got. You yeah. had to be on tour for yes. crying out loud. Yes. Like I had never won, I w- I'd never had yes. a tour card, yeah. none of that shit but I just parlayed each one. And mm-hmm. I just remembered like literally at every event that I was doing, I remember following up emails. I remember giving my oh, yeah. business cards out from every single person. Like I literally was the biggest networker on the planet. Oh, yeah. And it just kind of, you know, kept going and going and going and going. And I raised a lot of money for charities too, because I knew how to get people to donate to charity. So a lot of the times, like I hit a shot and people paid me and the money would go to charity and all the things I raised over a million dollars for one charity. Like I just knew how to kind of keep it going. The
0: networking part is really intriguing and important because I, you sound exactly how I was at, at the same age. Like, um, in my early days of coming to America, every person that came to one of my clinics, this is back in the days when I'm just doing it myself. I don't, have, me. I don't have employees. It's just me. I would write a handwritten note to every person that showed up at the clinic and said, you know, Christina, you did a wonderful job with your horse. Make sure you keep flexing him to the left and keep backing him up and remember to do this and this. Look forward to seeing you again. I'd write a handwritten card. I don't know if anybody ever even kept that shit after all these years. It went off unbelievably well. When you would write, I got that from Dale Carnegie. One of the greatest underrated oh, books totally. in the world is Dale they Carnegie, how to, win, how to Win how oh, to Friends absolutely. and Influence Sorry. People. Yeah. That is the greatest, one of the greatest single books ever written, and it'll be timeless. Even though it was written 150 years ago, or whatever it was, it's still today. And still today, I do write some handwritten cards to certain people, but I do that for every single person that showed. I did that for two or three years, actually followed up with phone calls, followed up with that networking, and it did make a big difference. Now, as I got bigger, I couldn't do that, of course, it logistically just got too big. You know, for many years on tour, I would be at the front door and I would shake everybody's hands walking in the door. I'd welcome them, great to have you here, great to have you here, great to have you here. I'd stand there for an hour and a half as people are walking in the door, greeting each particular person. You know, and and that's the kind of shit you have to do in the beginning to build rapport build a base Build you, you you've got to do that shit 100%. so i can identify with that 100 so so then you say okay i make i can make the transition to making money uh, okay i tell you what we're gonna do we're gonna take a break right now and get a cocktail but i want to come back and i want to pick up of okay we're done with with the pro golfing we're going to make a living just being a a, a traveling celebrity golf star yeah. helping people etc so we're going to pick it up
1: there perfect Clinton's grabbing a cocktail and we'll be right back
0: get yourself one and enjoy this short clip There's two types of people in the world There's people that should own businesses and there's people that shouldn't own businesses and if there's anything that I could tell to the People that shouldn't own businesses is the people that don't own businesses I think they underestimate or don't see how much risk people take in the beginning starting businesses Usually they're starting like your dad, no capital. They're trying to go raise it. They, they have to take mortgages out on their homes. Like they're, they're nuts are on the chopping board a little bit, oh yeah. which I think is a big part of why a lot of them are successful because when you got skin in the game and you don't get to eat if this thing doesn't work, you're sure motivated to do a 15, 16 hour day. Oh yeah. You're sure motivated to work Sunday. You're sure motivated to do some things that are pretty damn uncomfortable to get this thing up and running. I think a lot of people when they see a business that's very successful and making a lot of money, they have this illusion that it just started like that. If it was that fucking easy, everybody would be doing it. So Christina, before the break, we we stopped at, okay. You've stopped trying to be a pro golfer and you've realized you've got a niche market of celebrity appearances, personal appearances, coaching, a little bit of everything, et cetera. Are you excited at this point? Is it a natural transition? Did you have to work? When I say work at it, like, did it kind of naturally flow into that? Or you made a conscious decision of, okay, I'm not going to play golf at pro golf anymore. I'm going to do this to make money. Or did it just kind of naturally? The reason I ask that is that I naturally became a clinician. I didn't want to be a clinician. It's just that's where my customers took me. I wanted to be a horse trainer, but people like me teaching so much and like me helping them. I got way more business teaching, 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 and less business training a horse. And I'm broke and I'm starving, so I need to fucking eat. Yeah. So I just got into teaching. It's not like I woke up one day and said, I want to teach people for a living. The complete opposite. But I went where the money was because I'm starving and you're young. So I just naturally went into the teaching aspect of it did is that hap- that's why i asked that did it naturally just go that direction for you or something or you made a conscious decision to say okay I am going to go here because there's money here i'm good at it etc tell me the thought process behind what made you change gears
1: yeah a little bit of both like i never wanted to play golf i was just good at it and people told me i should do it okay and i think that that's really helpful for people to hear because like i had zero desire to play golf like Mm -hmm. never in my wildest dreams did i think i was ever going to play golf i didn't really want to play golf i was just so competitive and i was told that is what's going to make you happy that is what's going to make you money you need to do that and then I knew I wasn't good enough to play golf, but then I was starting to get these appearance fees, and I really actually loved being with the people. The golf was just like the vehicle that got me there, yes. basically. But I liked the business side of it. And I did it for however many years. I ended up hiring an agent maybe like four years in, but newsflash, no one will work harder for you than you. Yes. So like I, that really didn't work out. But the best thing that ever happened to me about that agent, I remember exactly where I was and he and I had this conversation about two years ago. He was at the british open with one of his big clients at the time her name was lexi thompson she was the number one golfer in the world and i was on the phone with him i was in a tunnel headed to an event in baltimore and he he said to me and i had been doing some of these big events and i had you know been getting paid um, at the time it was probably five thousand bucks a day and he said to me and it broke my heart that day but it was the best thing he ever said to me he goes christina what you're doing is a one off it's not a business mm-hmm. and i was fucking devastated because i was like fuck you no one else <laughs> no one else had created a business of charging people money to go do these appearances and like booking their own and getting this like girls were begging me to tell them me tell them how i did mm-hmm. it and everyone thought it was like this fucking, you know, magical thing that mm-hmm. I was doing. It was like, no, I fucking worked my ass mm-hmm. off. Like I yeah, marketed yeah, yeah. it yeah. like crazy. I showed up, I did a better job. If you wanted me to do hundred percent, I was doing 110%. Right. Showed sh- up
0: early, left late.
1: Yeah. I was shook every person's hand, every person on that golf course. I asked them their name. I shook their hand. I, you know, like did the dog and pony yes. show. I just did it better than anyone yes, else. And yeah but he devastated me that day when he told me it's really not a career and he was right like i really didn't have a career in doing that forever because newsflash i was gonna get old i wasn't gonna be attractive forever Mm -hmm. there was gonna be a new shiny girl coming Mm -hmm. up and so that was probably like maybe eight years into it but i was still enjoying it but i knew that i was probably better doing something else that didn't involve the golf
0: so at what point was there a, a rock bottom moment or yeah, a, a hit you in the face moment that you said okay i've transitioned from from pro golf to the celebrity teaching entertaining sector and now i'm going to go somewhere else what's this next transition
1: yeah i was like i remember it like it was yesterday i was like 27 years old i was doing a um a pga show in orlando like a guest appearance standing at a booth and i'm just thinking to myself this is fucking brutal, this isn't even what I want to do. Mm. And I was just so lost because it would be like if someone took away your horse like if mm. someone took away the fact that you were yeah. a- in equine like who are you without that yeah. and i was like my social media handle was golf christina everyone asked me every question was about golf are you playing golf how is golf how is this golf 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 and i didn't want fucking anything to do with golf mm-hmm. anymore like i knew that i had others you skills. just kind of
0: got burned out
1: yeah i didn't but i didn't want to do it from the beginning but i was just doing it because that's what yeah. i should have been doing
0: I, I i'm not gonna lie i I won't. Not gonna lie about it. I, it's the kind of thing with teaching. I did it for the money. I didn't do it because people told me to do it. I did it. I was a whore. I did it for the money. Yeah. And I'm glad I did it. But you know, you get burnt out doing shit. Yeah. Especially dealing with the public and and constantly traveling and constantly on dog and pony show, etc. It can get old after a while. Yeah. That, that's for sure. So you're kind of getting burnt out by the sounds of it. A lot of travel.
1: A lot of travel, but for me, most people didn't know. I really didn't like myself. I had a horrible eating disorder that oh, I truly. kind of hid. Oh yeah, it was like really bad. Like I did not like myself because I was so out of alignment with what I should have been doing. Like right. it just was, everything was, Basic, like I have to do this because who am I without this? And mm. it was just, it was ugly towards the end of it. And so, what
0: was the big fucking come to Jesus meeting that you hit a brick wall by
1: the? Yeah, way? I just knew I probably like I was gonna lose my my. We weren't married at the time, but I've been with my husband almost 20 years. Mm. We were together. I was gonna lose that because I was miserable. Mm. I was very like I wasn't in a health p- healthy place. Mm-hmm. Sick, mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. myself sick. I didn't want to do it anymore. I was really like, I'm so lost. I was like, it, outside, it was awesome. I was skinny, I was good looking, I was getting paid, I was playing yeah, golf, outside like everyone, appearances. Outside yeah. appearances, but inside, it was a fucking natural disaster. Yeah. And I just knew in that moment I had to do something different. And I literally was just like, in the moment, I it's like I realized, holy fuck, everything that I thought was gonna make me happy has not made me happy mm-hmm. to this point. Yeah. So. There's other people that have way less than I do. How the hell are they happy? And that's really when I kind of basically like, now I say, I took personal responsibility for my life.
0: Just let me stop you there yeah. for a second. So something you just said then resonated with me. You said you were supposed to be happy. You had yeah. all the things that life tells totally. you to be happy. You had money, your celebrity, people are paying you. You're traveling all over the country, etc. I'll never forget this. So like I said, when me and my first wife, we were, got married at 18, I was 21, she was 18, we did not know the difference in love and lust, so just stupid kids. I stuck it out nine and a half years, and I was miserable for nine of those years, really miserable. Yeah. And I remember towards the end, right before the divorce, at the lowest, and I was like, I should be really happy, I have this great business, I'm making a shit ton of money, I got these great horses. I bought every truck, trailer, clapper bit, you fucking name it. I bought it to make myself feel good. I bought anything at all to give me a high between clinics and tours and shit like that. And I was absolutely fucking miserable in my life and my marriage. And I'll never forget this uh, lady by the name of Gail McGraw. She was kind of like my American mother at the time. And she she, uh, was with me from the very beginning as a volunteer. And I must have been pretty miserable. And we were sitting at a table in Ohio and she looked at me and uh, she just looked at me and she said, it's okay to want more. And I said, what are you talking about, Gail? And she said, it's okay to want more. And I said, again, I don't understand what you're asking. She said, you're miserable. You've been miserable for years. You're carrying around all this guilt and she said it's okay to want a different life. And when she gave me permission, I know it sounds fucked up and stupid, that it was okay to get divorced because nobody in my family had been divorced, my mother said marriage is hard work, you gotta work at it, you gotta work at it. Nobody was gonna fucking work harder than me. I was gonna stick it out no matter what. She hated me, I hated her, we had nothing in common. You know what I mean? There's no alignment at all on, on many, many levels, okay? But when she said it's okay to want more, it just let all that guilt go. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I, I divorced her, that was hard to do. She wasn't a bad woman, she wasn't an ugly woman. There was no cheating involved. I, I wish there would have been, it would have been easier. Yeah. Just to be perfectly honest, I wish there would have been a lot of cheating involved because then it would go, uh, fuck you, I'm getting divorced because of this. I just wasn't in love with her. Yep. I didn't love anything about her, what we were doing, anything. But I had to kind of have that permission that it's okay to want more, because in my brain I said I got this business, I got these great horses, I'm on TV. I've got everything, quote unquote, the American dream, except in my personal life I'm a fucking disaster and miserable. And when when I got that divorce, it was very scary for me because I had no family over here at all. It was just me, me and Connor Herb, that was about it. I had no internal support for me whatsoever. So it's very, very scary to go through this. And a couple of times I almost backed out, called her at three o'clock in the morning. She talked me off a ledge and said, we can do this. Keep moving forward. And I'm so glad I did because divorcing her was the best thing for both of us. Because, you know, she was the, she wanted to be the soccer mom. She wanted to have a soccer van. three. You know, within divorcing her, within two years of divorcing her, she got remarried and had three kids within three years. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? She wanted a family. She wanted that soccer mom lifestyle. That's you what made her, her happy. So she got that which is awesome for her, and I'm very happy that she got the life she wanted, and I got the life I wanted, which was not that, what we had. But I can just identify when you said, your brain's telling you you should be happy with all these things, but you are very, very miserable on the inside.
1: So fast forward to what I do now. Mm -hmm. When I first started, you are my ideal client. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a little transition. I really help people go from like good to great. But in the beginning, it was helping people go from holy fuck Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be happy I got a family I got a good job I got all these things and helping people honestly like my whole brand has decided your decide it's your turn but it's really giving people almost the permission that they don't they really don't need it but letting them have the permission to be like okay I do want more like I want more and that was a hundred percent me like I just needed the permission to give myself the permission to- So did somebody help you get the permission? In the beginning, one of my mentors, like still to this day, he was a golf coach of mine and he, he is still to this day, he's one of the greatest humans ever. He's so low key. Um, he's one of the best golf instructors in the world, but the thing that he does better than anyone else is he works on your mind without you even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I remember him, he was basically like, he he was helping me with my golf swing when I first got to know him, but really what he did is he helped me build my confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. His mind, the way that he trained the mind was incredible. And he introduced me to my faith, but really it was for me just realizing that like, I had the power to decide my life. Mm-hmm. And it was almost just in that moment that I was like, No one is coming to fucking save you. If you want a different life, you go fucking do it. Mm -hmm. And that's really when I got into like motivational, you know, Mm -hmm. videos and coaches and teachings and all the things. And I became obsessed. And for like four years, I would watch YouTube videos like this was before podcasts. Yeah. YouTube videos, read books, take notes, listen to a sermon, fly to an event, hire a coach. Like I became obsessed with mindset and how people think and all of these things. And how my business really got started was I went from fucking miserable mm-hmm. to literally still to this day believe i have the greatest life ever because i fucking decide it even Mm -hmm. when shit hits the fan even when things aren't great Mm -hmm. even when you know it's a dumpster fire some days but like i just decide it every fucking day that i have the greatest life Mm -hmm. ever and it really started with me just going, okay, all of these things have happened, all of these stories and everyone's shit really comes from stories, patterns, and habits Mm -hmm. that were taught when we're kids or someone instilled in us and all the things, doesn't mean our parents are bad and all the things, but you as a grown-ass human being get to decide the way you want this party to roll for the rest of your life. And once you realize that, and once you have the tools and the strategies and the habits and the patterns, You can fucking have the most amazing life. You can be rich as fuck. You can be so happy. You can have the ideal marriage. You can have all of these things, but it's up to fucking you. And most people don't want to do it.
0: Well, it can be scary. I was scared to death. Oh, it's so scary. When I got divorced, I was scared to death. It was going to cost me millions of dollars. I had no family. You know, my ex-wife-
1: But most people stay miserable.
0: Yeah, my my ex-wife, they come from, in my opinion, a fucked up culture they would rather you stay married in the eyes of God and the community your whole life and be miserable. But in the community, you look upstanding, you're in church three times a week, you're the upstanding citizen and you've never been divorced. They would rather you be miserable your whole lives and play this front and then behind the closed doors be absolutely miserable and live a life of 50 years like that than divorce and have the public black eye, et cetera. Is you know, this the
1: Southern? Like our, is, was yeah, in she the was South? from
0: Ohio, big, big Bible Belt, Midwest kind exactly. of Bible Belt mentality. Yeah. I mean, I had every fucking Amishman coming and We lived in a big Amish community. I had an Amishman come to my door every fucking day and tell me how big a sinner I am and I'm a big piece of shit and, and I can't divorce my wife and fuck, you know, you're a horrible person, blah, blah, blah. And back then I was a lot more, um, naive and, and, oh, come on in, Frank. You know, I'd take the mental beating. Yeah. Now I'd say, hey, Frank, go fuck yourself. I appreciate that. Pack your horse up and get your buggy and fuck off. Yeah. That would be my advice now. Because, Frank, you go fuck who you want to fuck because I'm going to fuck who I want to fuck. We got that now? Mm-hmm. Frank wouldn't get two, two minutes with me now to put the... I'm, what I'm saying is the guilt trip. Yeah. I had such a fucking guilt trip from that local community that I'm the arsehole because I just don't love my wife anymore. Yeah. I'm an arsehole for that. You know what I mean? Stay married. Suck it up. Smile. Act like you love each other when you fucking hate each other. So that peer pressure was coming from me from all directions over and over again. I I almost buckled a couple I remember calling Gail at three o'clock in the morning crying one night saying, I don't know if I can fucking go through with this. The amount of pressure on me, people telling me I'm fucking going to hell and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm a piece of shit person for just simply not wanting to be married to her is unbelievable and she took me off the bridge. We can do this one day at a time. And I'm so glad she did because yeah. it changed my life. Once Absolutely. I got divorced from her. I and it, it changed
1: hers. It changed hers
0: too. She got exactly what she wanted. I moved to Texas and my whole career took off. Yep. When I moved to Texas, my whole career took off. Everything took off for me because I got rid of that fucking weight. I got rid of that miserable weight. And it wasn't so much her being miserable as a person, it was the marriage in general. Right. You know what I mean? She wasn't a horse person, you know, like I said in one of the last uh, podcasts, you know, it's gone kind of viral on TikTok. People have used my voice and it says, you know, if you want to, if you're going to be in the horse industry, you better pick somebody who loves horses because horses is a drug. And people have copied the voice and yeah. put it all That's over the place. Cool. And, uh, and it's fucking true. Yeah. Horses are a drug. Okay. And I don't know if it's like that in golfing or other industries, but oh, I, for sure. I know in horses... If you're going to be romantically involved, they sure as shit better love it like you do because it's a drug and it ain't going away and it ain't an eight to five job. Yeah. It's, it's a lifestyle. Just like farming's a lifestyle, ranching's a lifestyle, horses are a lifestyle, etc. cetera.
1: Athletics, business. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is if you're passionate about it. I mean, I've worked with guys who make $5, 10000000 million a year and like, I mean, everything anyone who's like this whole podcast is about successful people right but anyone who's somewhat successful you're gonna have to treat it like a drug in some regard mm-hmm. what i do what my husband does it's a drug to us like yeah. you know it's not this isn't forced upon me like i want, want to, to fucking do, do yeah. this like yeah. i want to work 80 hours a week i want it to be like what i think about on a saturday morning
0: yeah 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 i get it so it was a four-year transition for you to go from the golfing industry to basically a coaching industry, yeah. correct? Yeah. Did you know straight from the beginning you wanted to be a coach for no. humans? Or just you were just passionate for yourself in the beginning?
1: Yeah. I was just like, I was changing my life and I was like, it, you know, it's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. In yeah, the beginning, yeah,
0: yeah. it was all about you changing you. Totally. Because from being a kind of a, a, a basket case, and yeah. I mean that yeah. respectfully, Totally, it's 100%
1: the truth, you know,
0: worse. Uh, fucked up basket case, yeah. and you're like, I gotta get healed. So Absolutely. you're listening to books, you're going to seminars. Absolutely. you know who I'm some... drinking
1: the fucking Kool-Aid, yes. all of the things. I'm drinking the fucking Kool-Aid, but I just became obsessed with it. Uh, my therapist- And you're getting healthier as you're doing oh, that? Oh, totally. Yeah. And like, it's just, I'm so much happier. And like, I'm just kind of, you know, my therapist one time said it, she's like, Christina? you kind of treat what you do like the crazy CrossFitter. You know that person who tells you CrossFit is the best fucking thing on the planet is gonna change your life, but you're like, I do not like fucking CrossFit. You're that person for what you do, which yeah. is true. I'm not for everyone. What I do is not for everyone, but yeah. to me, it is like a drug. I'm obsessed with it because I just want everyone to understand that they can have this fucking amazing life. Like you know, as a coach, what I really do is help people find happiness and make money. Like once you figure out the shit between your ears, anything is fucking possible, Mm -hmm. joy, money, abundance, all of the things, but that's what I do. That's Mm -hmm. how I help people.
0: So that four year period and then at some point did you say to yourself, I'm kinda of getting good at this, I'm healthy. People maybe I everyone could, wants but,
1: to go to coffee, pick your brain, get on a so call. So then you go say, Hey, maybe
0: I can make some money doing Absolutely. this. So I'm gonna make a living doing it. I was it.
1: paying people a fucking fortune. So I was thinking to myself, if I'm paying them, maybe yeah. someone will pay me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: So then it just kind of started small and just started getting busier.
1: Yeah. Started small, started with like, you know, just kind of putting it out there and creating, you know, I did it all back afterwards. Now I definitely help people figure out how to scale faster in business yes. you know i work on mindset and strategy but you know got got the website got the logo which is the worst place you should go but you know i had to fucking learn in yes. the beginning yeah. and um yeah i just started taking on like one client two clients and then i put together what i called a mastermind in the beginning so like you bring together a mastermind is just bringing together like-minded people and mm-hmm. i brought t- together like seven women i think the first time or four women the first time and then seven the second time and then it just kind of grew and scaled and. You know, here we are today. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: You know, one thing that that's kind of, well, it did surprise me. I'll just say it surprised me because it wasn't something I was planning to do or wanted to do, but I'm glad it happened indirectly. Uh, the consulting part of my business it's took fantastic. off a lot. Yep. And and I've actually surprisingly really enjoyed it Yeah. Um, because I'm talking money, business, life, etc., I'm not answering, why does my horse bite me on the ass when I get on? Yeah. Why does my horse not stand still at the fucking mounting block? Like, I'm not answering horse questions, which I want to blow my brains out after 28 years. Yeah. But I'm talking about equine, making money, careers, businesses, etc. Uh, I'm really enjoying that a lot. You know, I charge them 1000 bucks an hour. Totally. And here's what I tell them. I'm going to do one of two things, if not both. I'm either going to save you thousands of dollars... I'm going to make you thousands of dollars or in some cases I'm going to do both. 100%. And and pe- you know people get you know when people found out I was charging $1,000 an hour they got outraged. How can you charge $1,000 an hour? Bitch, I'm worth it. Amen. I'm really fucking good.
1: 100%. I retired at
0: 43 with millions from the horse industry. Yep. Most people work their entire life and barely can get retired at 65 at it. But here's the difference. With my consulting and and all consultants are different of course and coaches. Most of the time within 1 hour I can answer all their questions and get them where they need to go. I don't need 10 hours of this. One hour does pretty much 95% of people I talk to one hour is all they need. And I say to them, hey, if in six months from now, you got some more questions, book another hour of it. You know, I don't want to be a continuous coach for somebody. See, but that's
1: where I come in. That's where I think is the big difference between what a consultant does and what a coach does. Because I think most people need the long-term accountability. Now what I do is help people grow and scale and stay accountable to that. Mm -hmm. Because I find the number one thing that pops up is, and you'll... You know, you may agree with this mm-hmm. or you may not, but I think that when I talk about mindset and strategy to kind of get to the next level in life and business, is there's always those mindset shit that pops up, and having that accountability, that consistent accountability, to get through that hurdle as fast as possible because it's only going to fucking slow you down. Mm-hmm. That is why I think long-term accountability is so so helpful. Because yes,
0: I don't I don't get any I don't get any interest or get off. On Most people don't. Most people don't babysitter. like what I do. I fucking yeah. love it. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah. And, and but I don't want to be constantly constantly coaching somebody to survive in life. Yeah. I, you know, I want to give them the advice. You know, I had a perfect example. I had a guy call me last week and, um, uh, he's making a shit ton of money in the horse industry. I'm not going to say what he's doing, but he's doing really well. And he said, here's some things that I'm thinking about doing. I want to run them by you. Everything he told me he was going to do. I said, fucking great. Great, great, great. And at the end of the call, I said, listen, I didn't tell you anything that you didn't already know, Yep. but you're really on the right track. And he said, this is so worth the money because he said, I had a little doubt if I'm right on the right track. And he said, now that you couldn't shoot holes, I've hired consultants before just to brainstorm shit. And, and if they, at the end of it, if they say, hey, you're on the right track, man, I ran like a million, doll- a million mile an hour after that. Does that make so, sense?
1: Do you know how I combine golf and what I do now? Mm-mm. One thing. So as a caddy, when you're playing golf, A caddy should never make you put any doubt in your head. Mm -hmm. What I do as a coach is give you the external perspective Mm -hmm. and really help you figure out what you want to do. There is a billion ways to make money in this world. Mm -hmm. There's a billion different strategies. You have to figure out which one works for fucking you and Mm -hmm. you have to be so passionate about it. That's what I do. I give the overhead perspective. I will never tell someone do this or do that yeah. or this just is just line bad. up
0: the pros and cons exactly, that's exactly give it
1: right. give them what they can't see be that yes. overhead perspective it's an,
0: it's an outside view looking totally. in. Here's, if you do this here's the pros of what you're going to do yeah here's the cons of it yep. you know uh that's all yes i had a consultant call a few weeks back and and uh a guy um wanted to grow his business and he, he was and i said okay if you grow it these are the things that are going to happen and these are the positives but here's the negatives yep. And I said, I said to him, I said, well, what time do you start work right now? He said, 8.30. I said, what time do you finish? Five. I said, do you have the weekends off? Yep, see my wife and the kids on the weekend. I take my kids to school at 8.30. I said, great. If you open a new store, kiss goodbye to all that shit, you're going to be at the new store at six o'clock in the morning. Do you know why you're going to be there at six? Because between six and 8.30, that's when you'll get some, you have to do emails, return phone calls. That's when you have to do the shit you don't have time to do during the day. Kiss goodbye to Saturdays. You'll be at the shop. You'll be managing more employees. How many employees you got now? Four. Do they drive you nuts? Yep. Oh, get ready for more. You want to open a second store and get eight or 10 employees? You think they're going to run themselves? I said, I'm not telling you not to do it, but I'm saying this little cutesy, cutesy lifestyle you've got now from 8.30 to 5 and got the weekends off, kiss goodbye to all that shit, motherfucker. Yep. It's about to get real, real. So I'm not saying don't grow. I'm just saying if you think you're going to grow between 8.30 and 5 and have the weekends off and no more stress than you've got now, you're a delusional. You're an idiot. And he said, well, I thought you'd tell me to grow. I said, I'm not telling you to grow or not to grow. I'm telling you, be aware of the pros and cons of every decision. So that's that's what I kind of do with them is I just tell them, hey, here's the pros of what you're going to do. Here's the negatives I see what you're going to do. Your call. Cool. I'm not going to tell you to do it or not to do it. I just want to tell you, what you're going to run into, pros and cons. And and if you want to bite that bullet, go bite it. I would have bit it. But, but you know, nobody told me when I started my business what the negatives were. I, I figured it out 28 years later. But honestly, if somebody would have told me what you would have had to do, I was being honest about it. I said I probably wouldn't have done it, just yeah. to be honest, because nobody waved that flag and said, hey, motherfucker, by the way, these things are all going to happen to you if you do this, this, and this, and this. I had no idea. I just was running blindly, you know. Yeah
1: no i totally agree i think people have to just dis- like really kind of getting the perspective of, okay like here's what it can kind of look like when people say they don't want to spend the money on that i'm like you are out of your fucking mind like here's the track like yeah. here's the way other people have done it you can feel free to like i'm telling you to turn left or here's what happens when you turn left, or here's what happens mm. when you turn right the decision is ultimately up to you which yeah. way you want to go but yeah and i think a lot of people honestly think they want the life that you have, think that they want the life that all of your other guests have, but 90% of people do not want no. to do what it takes. Like, and I do not, like, I literally, there's some of my favorite people ever who think what I do or what my husband does mm-hmm. is asinine. They're mm-hmm. my favorite people. Like, they're great humans, but like not everyone wants this type of life and that's totally okay. You and I are in the same exact suit. I didn't have children by choice mm-hmm. because... I knew what was important in my life. I knew what I wanted to do in my life. And I just knew that that wasn't for me.
0: You know, one of the last guests we had on, Dale, the guy that, uh, I that started Cirrus Plains, you know, we said in, in the podcast, we said, owning a business is not for the faint-hearted. No. It's a tremendous amount of stress, a tremendous amount of risk. And it's not for everybody. You know, I have a little favorite saying, it pisses people off, but it's the truth. There's a big difference between signing the front of a check and the back of the fucking check. Yeah. When you sign the front of the check is a whole nother level of commitment, risk and pressure. When you sign the back of the check, not as much. You know, after the first two podcasts have come out, it's done really well. I got a text. It was kind of a nice text actually from an employee that I hadn't heard from in oh probably at least six or seven years. And she texts me and she said, I've listened to both your podcasts. And she said, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated you I didn't appreciate you as much as i should have as a boss and the lessons you tried to teach me and the mentorship and some of the shit you made me do and put a foot up my ass for doing certain things and she said now with some maturity and some a little bit older and some time she said i should have taken more advantage of being around you and and she said i just wanted to thank you for that and i'm sorry if i made a few bad decisions in life and i texted back and i said i texted back and i said hey we all make the best decisions we can in life at the time no worries. Let's keep moving forward. Yeah, and and I I have no grudge whatsoever. But it was nice that she's with some maturity. She looked back and she said, "I understand why you were fucking insane now. I understand why you were stressed. I understand why you worked 120 hours a week. I understand now. But when I was in it, I couldn't understand it at that age. Now at 35." I can see it a lot better. So again, owning a business is not for everybody. You know, I always said there is a price to be paid for success. And that's what this this particular consulting call, he wanted to open a second store. I said, go for it. But understand it's gonna be double the stress. You're already stressed with four employees. Well, can't I just hire somebody to run the second store? No, oh, gosh. it don't work like that. That don't work. Now, maybe 20 years down the track it does, but the number one golden rule they won't teach in Harvard, nobody gives a fuck about your money like you do. Yep. Nobody cares like you do. Employees will do what you inspect, not expect. So you think you're just going to hire a manager and they're going to manage a whole separate store in a separate town five hours away and run it like you do? Hell fucking no, that's not going to happen. You gotta be there, you gotta be managing, you gotta be cameras, you gotta be there running that horse show, you gotta be there doing it. And I think he was just delusional about the stress that was gonna come from that. I said, you got a pretty good lifestyle, you might wanna think this through. Your your wife stays at home, she raises a kid, you put your kid on the bus to school every day, take his kid to school, you have the weekends off, you start at 8.30, finish at five. Well, I wanna think that through, motherfucker. Yep. That ain't bad. That's a pretty nice lifestyle, you know what I mean? Because if you do what you're planning to do, that's okay, I'll support you, but strap on your fucking boots because it's about to get ugly. You're about to go through a lot more stress, you're about to not see your family as much. That's why business owners typically, if you really analyze people that have made a lot of money, they have some common traits. They're typically overweight as men, because we're working so much, we're eating so badly, we're drinking late at night, we're entertaining customers, taking them to dinners and entertaining customers, we're sitting on planes, we're traveling, it's a fucking horrible lifestyle for your body. So when you're 20s, you can abuse it and get away with it, and some in your 30s, you hit 40, and that shit starts gaining weight on you pretty quickly, and by the time you get 50, 60, and you're worth millions, you're fucking physically a disaster. You're an alcoholic, you're 40, 50 pounds overweight, your wife's divorced you, your kids don't know you, you know what I mean? Because that's the lifestyle, if you're going to be successful in business, it's going to take a minimum of 80 hours a week for many years to be successful. So you better sure as shit understand the price that you're going to pay for doing that. You better have a wife that's comfortable not seeing you. You better have a wife that picks up the, the the slack at home and raises those kids and goes to their events and does that shit because, you know, you're going to be getting home from the office at 10 p.m. at nighttime. You're going to be there at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, there's, I just think people are very delusional about people that have made a shit ton of money, how much fucking stress goes into doing that.
1: Yeah. I'm a big proponent now though of like enjoying the experience. I think that we kind of talked about this before. I do believe that you can have it all. I just don't think you can have it all at one time. Mm -hmm. And I do think that you can enjoy the experience along the way. And I think it does change so many things. Like I remember a client I had one time like cheating on his wife, kids hated him, you know, making four million dollars a year, but like Gosh darn it, when I make five, I'll be fucking happy. And oh, that's yeah. just not the way it goes until mm-hmm. you figure out some of the shit, some of the thinking, some of the habits, some of the patterns that are kind of, that you've ingrained into mm-hmm. yourself that have you thinking that like, when this happens, I will be. and to me that is just like the most deadliest thing because most people who think like I'll lose the weight I'll get in the relationship I'll make the million dollars like they're waiting for fucking this magical shit to happen yeah. when they get it to be happy and newsflash it doesn't fucking happen like I'm so blessed like for me that like newsflash happened at 27 I have client who's 19 and I'm like oh my god you're fucking so genius but then I've had clients who are like 65 and mm. like you can learn it like there's so much that goes into it like this is the reason why i'm so passionate about it is because i do think you can figure out how to enjoy the experience along the way and not think that it has to be like this big magical thing like then i'll be happy and then i'll do that like to me that's really where the rub is where Mm -hmm. i kind of get a little bit like pushed back on that because Mm -hmm. i really like i just think i've inherently known hopefully it doesn't mean i'm dying young, but. I just know that life is so short, yes, it is, yeah. it's so short and I don't want to, f- I don't want anyone to be fucking miserable. I don't want anyone to do mm. all of the things that they fucking hate doing. Mm. And I think that like, even that person, like perhaps they, maybe they don't need what they think. Maybe they don't need the second store or maybe they do, but like, how can you figure out which one actually feels in alignment and get that and enjoy the journey, enjoy the experience.
0: Mm-hmm. I just think that to be successful, you've got to live it, breathe, and eat it. And, and owning a business is hard enough to run the business, let alone the employees and let alone keeping the lights on and keeping everything going. And bigger doesn't always mean better. No. And, and a lot of people see that I got really big. Well, that's got to be the answer. Just get big. big getting bigger almost crippled me. You know what I mean? It almost ruined, bankrupted me, honestly, because I just got so big. It you just got, so it, it just got out of control on me. You know, um, you know, everybody handles stress differently, of course. But but when you see really successful men, especially made a lot of money, they they're, they they all those things because they walk so much. They don't know their kids. They don't know their family. They're overweight. They're borderline alcoholics. They eat like shit, uh, and 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 then they die of a heart attack. You know, I vividly remember waking up one day, and I don't know what triggered this to be honest, and said, I don't want to make more money. Like that was really shocking to me. Like every year, got to make more money, got to make more money, got to get bigger, got to get bigger. And I woke up one day, the stress must have just been unbelievable. Like I always blew my head off twice in my career. Mm -hmm. Like I've been so depressed and so fucking stressed in my business. I can remember two times thinking, you know what, I'd like to blow my fucking brains out right now. And I think the second time it happened, it kind of scared me a little bit, and I'm like, okay, uh, enough's enough. I don't need to keep doing this.
1: I worked with a lot of guys. You know what mean? I mean? I've fucking
0: thoughts. had enough of this shit, and I felt really guilty about not wanting to make more money. I called, you know, my friend and mentor Ken Bray up, and uh, he owns brand and I said, I need to come talk to you. I drove out to his ranch, and we did a little back road driving, and I said. I feel really guilty, but I don't want to make more money. I don't want to get bigger. I don't want to get more shit. And he just looked at me and it's almost like Gail gave me permission and he said, it's okay. You've done enough, go enjoy it now. So that's when at 43, I said, fuck it, I'm retiring. I'm done. Added up my pennies, figured out what I needed to live on, figured out what my investments would do and said, fuck it, enough's enough. Now, if I would have kept going, I could have made a lot more money, but what's the point, I'd be dead. Yep. I'd be an alcoholic, 100%. I would have blew my brains out, I'd be dead by now. So what's the point of making more money? Yeah. So I said, enough is enough. It's about enjoyment now. But it's funny that I had to have another grown ass man almost give me permission to say, it's okay to not get bigger.
1: Sometimes that's what I feel like what we do and like whoever is coaching yes yeah i feel like that's what it is you know i always say the difference between coaching and therapy is like therapy we know all the reasons why therapy go to therapy they'll tell you all the reasons why you're fucked up Mm -hmm. but coaching for me is the taking of okay these are the reasons why you feel that way or what you want to do and how do we put action behind that to make a different decision
0: Mm -hmm. yeah what, um, what do you mainly coach now? Uh, people that are in, is it golfing industry? No. industries. I have no
1: golfers. I have no golfers. It's all industries. I've had everyone from farming to tech, to insurance, to coaches themselves, mm-hmm. nutrition, speech pathology. Anyone who truly just wants to find more alignment, more joy, and make more money. And I truly do believe it's just between, like all it is is mindset and strategy. I use my formula of decision, faith, and action, but it's mindset and strategy. So this is all done over the phone, done through Zoom? Zoom Zoom or in-person. I only do one-on-one coaching. Most people hate it Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like a cap on how much money I can make. But let's be honest, I live in Arkansas. I make half a million dollars a year. My husband's very successful. I fucking choose happiness, I choose my life. I make a great money. I have a great life. I love what I get to do. I love my clients. I'm so passionate about it, but either in-person, um, VIP days, I do those occasionally or just, um, zoom calls. We just do. And
0: you feel like you've been the happiest you've been in your career. 100%. How many years have you been doing the I've coaching? Been
1: five and a half years, mm-hmm. five and a half years. And yeah, I love what I get to do. I love my clients. I love to know. Like do I you had,
0: see any major changes coming for you oh, in it. As far as getting bigger, smaller, staying where you are. Like is there any is yeah, there anything I, you wanna do different?
1: No, I, I like growing the podcast. We'll we'll definitely grow the podcast. I do more speaking engagements, which I actually mm-hmm. really like. But yeah, no, but for the coaching, I just wanna do one on one coaching because most people hate what I do. I love it. I love to know the inside of it. I love to know the personal, I love to know yeah. the professional. I love it all.
0: Yeah, I could identify with that. You know, I almost, when I when I got retired, I thought, what am I going to do? And I almost did the public speaking gigs. Yeah. I spoke. You'd to be some, great. I would have been great at it. And I think I could have made a lot of money doing it. But you know what turned me off of it? Is the travel. Travel. Again.
1: A lot of people don't like the travel. You traveled forever. I traveled, I traveled- so much yeah. for my
0: career. It just, sleeping in a hotel room and restaurants yeah. just makes me want to throw up.
1: Well, now you can pick and choose. You know, I think that that's one of the cool things about kind of getting older and putting in the hard work in the beginning. I mean, I used to put you know, 12, 14 hours a day on my dining room table, figuring out how the fuck I was gonna make this. I hired my brother's mm-hmm. girlfriend as my assistant in the beginning, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But now you can kind of pick and choose and kind of like with your consulting, right? Like maybe I do wanna work with that. Like you were saying, I don't wanna work with a certain type of person. Yeah. Well, now you get to choose who you get to work That's with. That's exactly I mean, right. you know, like I don't wanna work with anyone who just thinks I'm gonna fucking be their babysitter. Or yes. I don't wanna work with anyone who doesn't want to like gladly pay me. And yes. you know, like I wanna work with people who Literally have like some okay passion. yeah some passion like I want a fucking great life and I need someone to support me in this yes yes so that's yeah it's cool to get you get to that point though yes. like I you know you've kind of earned it you put that's, in the hard that's, work
0: that's people ask about retirement I tell you what retirement gives you the money is it gives you options. the ability to choose
1: options it's, it
0: people just think it's about money it, it's not what money gives you is options
1: money gives you freedom
0: it gives you options to who are you going to deal with today who you're not and do you want to deal with them, do you not? So for me, I don't deal with anybody that doesn't give me energy. If I don't get energy from being around somebody, I get rid of them very quickly in my life. Now, obviously when you're growing and you're trying to build a business, there's a lot of people with a lot of money that you've got to fucking suck their dick and put up with their bullshit because you're trying to pay a mortgage. But that's to me, for young people watching this, the greatest freedom that you need to work your ass off, save your money, invest your money, take care of your finances is that one day you have the choice of who in business you get to do business with or not. You know, obviously in a personal side of it, you get to choose who your friends are and who are not. And even in that, I've even become way more aware. Oh my
1: God, if they don't if, make if me feel toxic, better,
0: yes. I'm out. If they're even remotely toxic, I cut them out of my life 100%. immediately. I don't care if i've known them for 20 years if they start getting toxic they start putting the voodoo on me and just fucking just negative energy being around them i get rid of them quickly very very aware of that now i probably wasn't aware of it as much as i used should have been in years past but sure as shit i'm very aware of it now and it's made a big difference too
1: absolutely you were talking in the beginning about like rich people hang out with rich people and because people always ask me well how do i do that i'm not there right now Jesse Itzler, who's um, he's like a big adrenaline guy, public speaker. His wife is Sarah Blakely, the one who created Spanx, billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. But he's great, and he always talked about how he used to go to the Beverly Hills Hotel when he had no money. He mm-hmm. used to go to the Beverly Hills Hotel and order water and a salad and sit there all damn day, so he could be around wealthy people and he could hear what they're talking about oh, yeah. and like network with them. You know, that's why I said I think I'm very lucky. I grew up around rich people. My family wasn't rich, but I grew up around rich people. They
0: rub off on you. It
1: totally rubs habits
0: that rub off on
1: you. Habits, patterns, stories. Like, I, I was around successful people. And I'm not telling you every rich person is great. But you get to decide who you want to be around. And I think that's one of the freedoms that you now have for sure. Clinton's grabbing a cocktail and we'll be right back. Get yourself one and enjoy this short clip. Nothing
0: would please them more than to see this old piece of shit in a coffin. Oh, they want to drive a steel knife down a stupid fucking throat. And they talk about it quite often. Righto, this is from Mac Abernathy. Horsemanship is iffy. Salesmanship and bullshit is off the charts. That's fair enough, I'm not going to deny that. So Christina, if you had to go back to a 18 year old you and give yourself a good lesson of what you would do differently or what you would tell yourself, what would it be? After this whole journey, what would be the greatest lesson you'd like to tell yourself at 18 or 21 or at some younger age?
1: The best advice ever is be yourself. I think for so long I wasn't, I was doing what everyone else told me to do. Like this will make you happy. This is what you should be doing. The minute I started being Christina, so my social media handle is be Christina because I want every person to be themselves. Even for yourself, you know, you are Clinton Anderson. If you're trying to be another clinician or if you're trying Mm -hmm. to be, you know, status quo or you're trying not to do this or not to do that or be this or be that, like you have to be yourself. I believe God has given each of us, like it is our, responsibility mm-hmm. to live out our purpose be ourselves, and i think so many people are trying to be so many other people and like the minute i just started being christina and doing whatever i felt like i needed to do is really yeah and that's when my success came like yeah. i ran myself. into a lady
0: the other day that uh, laura that i hadn't seen in years and she she said i love the podcast and she looked at me and she said it's so good that you're just you
1: yes Amen. And I said,
0: it feels good to be just me. Yep. Because again, on RFT TV, a lot of my career, I had to watch my p's and q's, and I had to suck the right dicks and pat the right asses, and and be the dancing monkey for a lot of fucking situations. And and she just looked at me and she said, it's the podcast is so good because you're just you. But she said, I've always known you as you, but it's just good that you really just don't give a shit now, and you can just totally be you.
1: you Most know? people. Are afraid to be themselves yes they are most people don't believe they're good enough most like there's so much bullshit in people's head that prevent mm-hmm. them from being themselves yes and when you work on that it allows you to be your true most authentic self that's when you have so much more success what do you think
0: you would have done differently if you could have done this advice back at 18 19 20, you don't think you would have gone down the golfing path
1: I don't know I think everything kind of happens for a reason and yeah it, that's I'm, a good I'm, point I'm glad that it yes did. yes
0: so yes that is that's a damn good point that's actually a good point to bring up because some of your biggest black eyes oh, and 100%. bloody noses is what caused you to be the person you are today amen very much so I would absolutely agree with it so without those bloody noses you know Ken Bray always says you've got to get a few bloody noses to figure out how the playground works without the bloody noses and the black eyes you wouldn't have the appreciation that you've got now.
1: I've had a lot of crappy yes. things. Yes. And I don't regret any of them. Yes, I don't regret I'd actually any agree of those with situations. that. I would not
0: change some of the shit that's happened to me either. But I didn't no. like it at the time. And still didn't like it but but it made me a different person yeah 100%. so we can embrace that that's for sure yeah well congratulations to you thank it's been you. a great story I've yeah. learned a lot that I didn't know before we go. Um, thank you so much for doing the podcast before and, and releasing it to your your audience and thank we'll you release for doing this it. to ours but I think you're a great example of that you know when one door closes my mother always said that when one door closes another one will open if you're looking and, and I am a firm believer in this. I'm not a terribly religious person, but I am a firm believer in this. Everything happens for a reason. 100%. And I do believe some of the worst things that have happened to me in my life have been the biggest blessings. Amen. You don't think that at the time. You don't like going through the ugliness, but looking back on it, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me is, is it caused you to do this. When one door slams you in the face, if you'll just keep looking around, there will be another door that will open and it'll be a better door than, than what you were planning on doing. Well, listen, mate, cheers. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for being here. And I wish you continued success. And I hope you're an inspiration to a lot of people. If people want to get a hold of you for coaching and things like that, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Well, it's uh, my social media handle is b Christina b e c h r i s t i n a because my last name is so fucking hard. My <laughs> last name is Christina Lecure l e c u y e r. But b Christina, I'm on Instagram, and, and that's how
0: people can contact. Yeah, you.
1: Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the things. But my website is where they can contact me. You'll find a way.
0: Good. Cheers, awesome. mate. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Today's episode was filmed at and produced by Innercut Productions marketing by Stewart & Associates, and organized and administrated by Down Under Horsemanship. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time, mate. Cheers.